Good day, everybody, and welcome back to the House of Mario. This encore, we explored the Hoenn region that was introduced back in Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire in 2002. And this is probably the region I'm most excited to talk about because this was my very first region that I ever played through. Pokemon Sapphire on my Game Boy Advance SP was my very first game I ever owned, and... It really sort of was my uh, introduction to the world of Nintendo and to the world of video games in general. So really excited to be able to talk about it and uh, take a bit of a nostalgic trip back through this region because I think it's uh, a region that definitely offers a, a good amount of variety, even though there is that meme out there, which is uh, too much water. Um, but you know, off the bat, I know I'm very biased because it is my very first Pokemon game, but don't agree with that so much. I think there's a sort of lot to offer Apart from fire types, not very many fire types to offer in this game. <laughs> but uh, as we go through that, you know, I might uh, bring up why that doesn't bother me so much. Mainly because there's so many other regions you can visit that do have fire types, you know. Not every region has to have such a, you know, variety of each type. I don't know. <laughs> That's how I feel anyway. <laughs> but let's jump into it. So sort of the idea behind the Hoenn region was uh, the island of Tushu, which is a... Uh, an island in Japan. So the Hoenn region is based off a real-world Japanese main island of Tushu. But uh, the Hoenn region is actually rotated 90, 90 degrees uh, counterclockwise, and Junichi Masuda stated that uh, the reason Kushu was rotated was to create Hoenn in a more uh, playable state in the game. Because otherwise, like, you know, the Hoenn region, it's basically a cross. Uh, the island Tushu is a uh, long ways, vertical. <laughs> So that's why, and it's really interesting looking at like uh, real world locations and how they affect uh, the design of the Pokemon games. Because uh, if you go and have a look at a map, you can see like the, the parts of Japan that influence the Johto region, the uh, the Kanto region, the Hoenn region, and uh, even the Sinnoh region, which is located above. And then uh, the regions after that, they started going to different countries, um, which we'll, we will touch on in later generations. But I always love the idea that these, well, not islands, but these uh, areas are based off real-world locations. And um, if you go and look into it, you actually see that uh, a lot of these uh, sort of storylines are influenced through things that might have happened in the real world. For example, with the whole Team Magma versus Team Aqua uh, whole thing, there was actually a thing in the uh, on Tushu Island where the farmers and the government were versing one another, trying to, you know, uh, get rid of, a, I guess, a bits of the ocean to increase their farming land and fishermen wanted to increase it for more fish. And I, I'm going to butcher it if I go too much into it, but there is great resources online if you want to go and check that out. Um, really interesting. And, you know, as a kid, you're just like, this is a fun, silly story. And when you're an adult, you're like, it doesn't make much sense, actually. <laughs> like, why are they doing that? But it's a, it's a real thing that happened. But a bit of a history on the Hoenn region. And actually, just before I get into this, uh, the with these games split across Generation 3, which were the originals Ruby and Sapphire, and then they were remade in a 2014 on the 3DS with Alpha Sapphire and Omega Ruby. Yes, that's the right, <laughs> right way. Um, but uh, they introduced like Mega Evolutions and Primal Forms for Groudon and Kyogre. So sort of like the storyline and that gets sort of split between them. Um, for the most part, we are going to concentrate on the original story being in Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald. Uh but there will be some things that come up with like primal forms and mega Rayquaza and stuff. 
So uh, written here on Bulbapedia, follows more of the uh, Generation 6 sort of storyline. Um, and they say, Holland was created after Primal Groudon and Primal Kyogre were formed. Primal Groudon raised the landmass and Primal Kyogre filled the seas that would later become Holland. A meeting between these two caused a great battle of supremacy until it was quelled by Mega Rayquaza, sending Primal Groudon and Primal Kyogre into caverns where they rested until they were awakened many years later during the course of events in Generation 3 or Generation 6. The moving continents... Uh, Sorry, the moving of the continents by Regigigas created Hoenn. And when Regigigas went to sleep in Slow Point Temple in Sinnoh, Regirock, Registeel, and Regi-Ice, the keys to awakening it, were sealed away in Hoenn. And I always feel like Hoenn had the most interesting sort of legendary stories. You've got Groudon versus Kyogre. They actually, like, dislike each other. they got different interests. One's what sort of counteract with the other one. And... It's sort of the first time this has happened in Pokemon games. In Diamond and Pearl and going on, we had similar things when... Um, but we never had like a real rivalry where the legendary Pokemon were against one another. And that really did show its face in Pokemon Emerald where you actually do see them versus each other. And the main legendary Rayquaza is the one which, which comes down to sort of break up their little fight. <laughs> their big fight. But uh, absolutely fantastic games. And I love this region with all my heart and soul. Uh, the Pokemon that were introduced in this were absolutely fantastic as well. They introduced 135 new Pokemon, so more than Johto, and obviously not as much as the original 151, but uh, absolutely fantastic designs. I think uh, a lot of favorites come from this, with Salamancer and Metagross being the, uh, the pseudo-legendaries, the starters being Trico, Torchic, and Mudkip, um, some, some of my favorite Pokemon in general. And they're going on from there too. Obviously, I think the most important Hoenn Pokemon would have to be Chimeco. Like, come on. Chimeco is an amazing Pokemon. It's a it's a psychic wind chime. What more do you want in life than a psychic wind chime? Please. Please. You're lying to yourself if you uh, don't think that is what you want from your... Uh, uh, from, from your Pokemon designs. <laughs> I got lost in thought there. <laughs> And uh, before we start our journey, just a little bit more trivia about the Hoenn region. So the Hoenn region has the most routes of any region with a total of 34. So that's a little interesting little bit there. Um, mainly because the sea, there's so many little intricate bits to it. Um, uh, it is the only region not to receive new routes upon uh, appearing in a sequel or a remake. So never got a new route in uh, Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. Um, but it did get like the sort of like resort area. That was a sort of a brand new place, but it, I guess it kind of like filled where the battle tower and the, uh, uh, battle frontier were in Emerald and the original games. So I guess, I guess it just got replaced really. So that's not really a new one. And, uh, Holland is the only region with a game corner and a department store that are not in the same city. Every other game had one in the exact same city. So kind of clones of each other, really. Uh, gyms in which all the badges have the same English and Japanese names. Uh, two lighthouses. There's one in Slateport City and the other one is in Lily Cove City. There's two villainous teams, being Team Aqua and Team Magma, uh, and a father of the playable character that can be encountered. He is Norman in the uh, Pedalberg Gym. And uh, neither Eevee or any of its evolutions in the regional decks, which was, you know, thinking back on it, is actually quite quite weird because every single game afterwards, like they either had a brand new Eevee evolution or they had Eevee in the regional decks because Eevee is an incredibly... Uh, popular Pokemon these days. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's get into our adventure because I am keen 
as a bean. So let's start off with the opening screen. And this is where we meet Professor Birch. And Professor Birch is the, is a Pokemon professor in Lis Little Root Town. And he specializes in Pokemon habitats. And uh, a lot of other Pokemon... Um, oh, sorry, a lot of other Pokemon professors specialize in their own thing. Professor Oak, obviously, Pokemon Research. Uh, Professor Elm, he was head of Pokemon Breeding, I believe, off the top of my head. Because they introduced... Uh, Breeding eggs in that game. So with the Hoenn region based off nature, uh, Professor Birch, he specializes in Pokemon habitats. And uh, this part here, uh, very start of the game, we're choosing our name. Who's your name? I'm Idruby or Drew. I used to call myself Drew and I would um, now call myself Idruby because that's my screen name or whatever. Uh, but uh, this is also when you can choose your gender. I um, used to always pick a male because, you know, I'm a dude, I'll pick the dude, but Going on, I kind of got sick of playing as the male character, so then I always started playing as the girl, which was May in this game, and I also started off being like, oh, I can't call myself Drew because that's my name and I'm a guy, but uh, sort of as time went on, I'm like, you know what, bugger, I'll just call myself just call myself Drew or Idruby or whatever, and uh, yeah, that's a, that's a sort of story about naming myself, but you know, obviously Drew's a, a unisex name, it's not... um. Not just a guy's name. You've got Drew Barrymore and a lot a lot cooler female Drews than, than me. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, we uh, choose our name and we move on to Little Root Town, the opening area of the game. And uh, Little Root Town, it's a very sleepy town. There's only two houses and uh, Pro Professor Birch's sort of re research uh, lab. And a uh, research... Uh, sorry. Uh, Little Root Town, sort of the description for it is basking amid a vibrant nature. Uh, it's uh, uh, this simple town is not shaded with any one hue. So there's only the two houses here and the professor. Really, not much going on. Could you imagine a real life town with two houses and just like a, a research lab? It would be like it'd be quite odd. <laughs> so we go and see what Professor Birch is up to. He's not up to much. He's not up to much. We sort of go into his research lab. And we're like, where are you, mate? You're not here. Oh, you're in the you're in the route 101. Fair enough, fair enough. So then we go up to see what he's what he's doing after we go and catch up with our neighbour, and uh, our neighbours are quite friendly and whatever, and suggests that we uh, that we go and see what's going on. But it turns out Professor Birch is getting attacked by a Poochiana, Everybody, oh my God, Professor Birch, we got to help you, mate. Professor Birch, he says, guys, oh not guys, there's only there's only us there, Drew or whoever you are listening. Go and get me a Pokeball, for goodness sakes. You can choose out a Trico, Torchic, or Mudkip. And there we go. We get into the first wild battle. And uh, personally, for me, I picked Mudkip on my very first playthrough, making Mudkip my very first Pokemon that I ever owned. And throughout there, I sort of went through the whole game just with Swampert. And I barely taught it any moves, apart from Water Gun, Mudshot, and the initial sort of uh, stab moves that it learns. And... It wasn't until the uh, the Pokemon League where I actually finally taught it Earthquake and I was just shocked about how strong it was after actually teaching it a decent move. Um, but yeah, just with the music itself, I love this, uh, just all the battle music from Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire and the remixed sort of versions in Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. Um, just killing a killer soundtrack and this is a soundtrack that I listen to all the time, whether it was in high school, I had the whole thing on my iPod, whether it's uh, now just putting it on in the background, whether it's recording a podcast, I'm still listening to it. 
Uh, so, absolutely love the wild battle theme. Fantastic. And I actually used to play drums a lot to this too. You know, stuff in the high school. I don't play drums that much anymore. I actually live in town now, so it's a bit harder. I've been thinking about getting an electric drum kit, but I still don't know where I'm going to put it. I've got so much electronics here. I don't know. I don't really have a corner for a drum set, but regardless, that doesn't really matter. So congratulations, you beat, beat the Poochiana. Congratulations, everyone. Here's your little victory screen. We beat it. We got some experience. We got to level six. Uh, my mudkip is uh, going upward and onward from now on. So now we sort of uh, we get to keep our Pokemon and uh, we get to sort of go up to Old Ale Town. But before we sort of take off there, I want to go through some of the themes that we're going to encounter along the way. When we're going to reverse a trainer, when a trainer locks eyes with us and says, Oi, I want a battle. This is what we're going to hear. So first up, we got uh, a little kid. And the little kid is, is always someone at the very start of the game you got to verse, whether it's Joey and his Rattatar or... I don't know. I don't know what the first one's called in Ruby and Sapphire. I'm going to say Mike with his Zigzagoon. You've always got the kid with his little normal type Pokemon. And uh, this is the theme for that. Really cool. And uh, next up, we're going on to the Lass. And this is always the one that stands out. So it's nice and airy. And you're like, yeah, this is nice. But then it goes into like, the battle theme. Oh, my God. Next up, we've got a girl theme. I'm not... I just like a little girl thing, mate. Gotcha. And they would usually have like a Marrow or, you know, some cute Pokemon. Moving on to like the twins. So this is like the two little girls who you actually have your first double battle with. And uh, these were actually a really good uh, grinding sort of experience uh, later on in the game when you could like reverse people with the Pokenav. Uh, next up is the interviewers that you were uh, versed throughout the game. They've got multiple locations. They sort of rotate as you beat them. And, uh, yeah, these guys were also on my sort of a grinding rotation when you go through with the Pokenav. And they interview it. Actually, when you beat them, they actually, uh, it comes up on the TV that you're like, oh, you've beaten them. You know, I, Druby, you're a fantastic trainer or whatever. And I always thought that was a nice little touch uh, when you beat them. Next up, we got the gentleman trainer class. Like, oh yes, you've got to reverse my Martiana and uh, whatever else I have. Would you like a... Remember Martiana, like, uh, in the route next to the Safari Zone? That's when I think you come across your first gentleman. <laughs> All right, next up, we got the Hiker Trainer class. These guys just had Geodude and Graveler. <laughs> Maybe a nose pass here and there, not too much. Next up, we got the Elite Trainer. And I always thought this one was really cool. It gets you in the mood. And they've always got like, they're always like actually a quite tough trainer. Whether it's in a victory road at the end of the game, um, they always offer actually quite a bit of a challenge compared to, I don't know, the little kid. <laughs> All right, now we're on to the Maniac. And these, uh, these guys are scary, scary guys. And they're, they're, yeah, these guys are just weird. And in every Pokemon game, they're always there. They're usually around like the ghost areas. Um, mainly you verse the Maniacs around Mount Pyre, which is in this case pretty much Pokemon Tower from Kanto in some respects. 
Alright, moving on to the Bikini Sister. And uh, these are pretty much just the the uh, female characters you verse when you're surfing in the water. Uh, you come across a lot of these in Hoenn because there's too much water, god damn it. Far too much water. <laughs> Got another elite trainer here. Is this? Oh, this must be uh, the male or female variant. Ah, yes. Always love the uh, elite trainer. And all these themes, all this music has like such ripping trumpet. I absolutely love the memes around the Hoenn region. Just like, just like bring you, bring your trumpets, everyone. The Hoenn region, you gotta pack your trumpet because everyone's got a trumpet. Everyone's theme, everyone's battle theme. It's just got ripping trumpet, and uh, it really does sort of set the uh, sort of the soundtrack uh, aside from the other ones. Uh, and obviously, going from the Game Boy Advance. Oh, sorry, the original Game Boy to the uh, Game Boy Advance. Just the the soundboard just opened up for so many more uh, different sounds and being able to replicate sort of different instruments like drums, trumpet, bass, and all that a lot more accurately. And they're going on to like DS and obviously now Switch. Uh, it just continued on from there. But this is really where it sort of come into its own, the Pokemon music, I think. And um, we've got some really awesome uh, tunes. So next up, we're uh, in Route 101. In Route 101, very, very quiet, placid place. We're just on a nice little trek up to Oldale Town. We're going to encounter some Zigzagoons. We're going to encounter some more Poochiana. And uh, maybe a Wurmpool for Lucky. I remember finding a shiny Wurmpool at the very start of the game uh, in Pokemon. I think I played through Ruby. This was like a Ruby playthrough or something. doesn't matter what version it is, really. But I remember that was so cool. And I evolved into a shiny Dustox. And I had... It was so nice having a shiny throughout the whole game. Especially these ones when it's 1 in 8,000 chance compared to 1 in 4,000, which is just nuts. Alright, so talking about the trainer battles before, let's actually hear the trainer battle music. And uh, like the wild battle music, the trainer battle music absolutely bloody slaps. And I don't know, actually, let's be honest here, I don't know any Pokemon game where the, just the generic trainer battle music doesn't slap. Maybe we'll get to it. I'll listen to it like over the next few weeks. I'm like, mm. yeah, no, no, this one's not very good at all. But this one, this one slaps. This one absolutely slaps. So let's uh, let's encounter our first trainer. It's going to be a youngster, a youngster trainer. I absolutely love that Pokeball sort of like lineup as a uh, trainer battle starts as well. I wish I had that sound effect. That is so dope. That like gives me goosebumps when I listen to this. I really wish it was included in this, but it isn't. And what I also love about this is just like the bass. If you like listen closely, if you've got a nice pair of headphones on, you can just hear it in the background. And the build-up too. God, that bit gives me just goosebumps. I love that so much. That, that's what I mean just with the bass. When that bit comes in, I used to love listening to that during actual uh, gameplay. And On my Game Boy Advance SP, it's got one speaker in the middle and it's not very loud. So, and no headphone jack either. So, 
<laughs> Being able to um, listen to this on my iPod with actual headphones was just awesome. Um, but even just like the remix versions going into uh, Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, um, they did a fantastic job sort of recreating it for the re- remaster as well. Alright, so congratulations, you're beating the youngster. Congratulations. Well done. Alright, so let's move on to Oldale Town. In Oldale Town, there's not too much going on. The description for it is a town where uh, the contrast between colorful flowers and deep, verdant forests is most beautiful. So, very much just in like a forest community, not too much going on. Also, two houses, and there's a Pokemart and a Pokemon Center. And this is where you're introduced to the mechanics of the Pokemart and the Pokemon Center. Uh, for me, very useful. These are my first Pokemon games. If you've come all the way from Kanto, you know what a goddamn Pokemon Center is like. Come on. You know. You know what's going on. But uh, this lady actually uh, helps you along your way. She recommends uh, what you have to do. And she has some nice little jazzy music to herself. Pretty much the Pokemon lady. And this is in uh, previous generations as well, this music. I believe it's from um, uh, Gold and Silver as well. But this, in these games, this is the only time in the whole game you can actually listen to this. And it just keeps on looping and looping as long as you've got like, sort of the dialogue up. And I just like used to leave it up and used to listen to it because I knew that I wouldn't hear it again. So I just used to open up my Game Boy Advance, uh, put it up to my ear and went do 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 Because it's a nice little catchy, uh, sort of addictive little theme song. Uh, quite like it. Quite like it. So if you take her advice, you'll go into the Pokemon. And you check it out, and you got this nice little groovy theme for the Pokemon. And that piano bit is so good. I can <laughs> just like that type of music on Game Boy Advance where it's just like, just like, just nails the piano sound. It's actually pretty cool. Then you got like the sort of like the um, checkout register sort of uh, bits remixed into it. It's actually really an underrated sort of theme in these games, I feel like. I never really thought about the Pokemon theme that much, but going back and listening to it, I'm like, this is actually pretty cool. Alright, so we need to heal up our Pokemon too. Route 101 has been absolutely uh, detrimental to our team. So we better go and heal up. So let's uh, let's go and do that. And this is uh, actually the first games where they changed up the Pokemon uh, center theme. It's actually uh, different to the past two games, which is uh, just a little bit of an uh, interesting thing, I guess. Uh, but this was like my first uh, Pokemon center theme that I was listening to. So I'm like, hmm. When I went back to uh, the other games, that's ah, different. <laughs> Alright, congratulations, everyone. Sick of my head. Skip my head there. So we go up to the next route, and this is where we first have our sorry, have our first encounter with Brendan or May, our rival in these games. And Brendan and May, they're our friendly rivals. They're not like in the past generations when they're either just like an arrogant uh, mean man or they are literally a thief. And they just want to crush you. They're ahead of you all the time. They want to destroy you. Uh, Brendan and May, they're actually uh, really nice. They're nice neighbors. They're just your nice, friendly neighbor. And that was a nice sort of shake-up in these games. Uh, it is sort of a shame that the generations going on sort of just copied this nice neighbor sort of uh, model for your rival, um, which is a little bit of a shame. But I think in these games it works well because it was something different at the time. And uh, most of these battles were quite easy. The first one's quite easy. You're, uh, they only have a like, tackle and a stat altering move, so nothing too crazy there. They don't have any super effective attacks just yet. But uh, going forward, when we're actually on a... I think it's Route 111, uh, 
it's actually one of the most hardest <laughs> rival battles out there. So we'll uh, put put the music on. Um, so May and Brendan they actually got different themes. So May's got a uh, this is May's theme. Yeah, so it's like a, I guess it's like a little bit more chirpy than uh, than Brendan's. Just her cause I don't know. She's a girl. She's a uh, more lively. I don't know. <laughs> it's actually a nice touch that they um, gave them different themes as well. Because really, this is like the first games where they actually had like pretty big differences between the different versions. Where if it's like gold and silver, um, you had different legendaries you could catch. But in in these games, different teams, different Pokemon, you could choose. A, you could have a different rival depending on what uh, sort of a character you picked. Because uh, these were the second games were actually introduced you be, to be able to pick your gender, which was a very nice touch in Pokemon Crystal, um, and I knew that that means a lot to a lot of the Pokemon fan base that are female and would like to actually play that character. So moving on to Brendan's theme, I feel like it's got like more emphasis, <laughs> more uh, more trumpet. Very cool. Alright, so let's move on to the uh, the actual battle music for your rival. And it it rocks. It absolutely rocks. I love it so much. So let's go, let's go for uh, Brendan and May rival battle music. Oh that trumpet is pumping. <laughs> Alright, so I don't have to go through with uh, what type of Pokemon they have. Obviously, you know, if you choose a Mudkip, they're going to pick a Trico. If you pick a Torchic, they're going to pick a Mudkip. And if you pick a Mudkip, they're going to pick a Trico. They want the advantage. They know what's going on. They're not so dumb. But uh, moving on from this very first encounter, the next encounter is on Route 110, which is just the underpass under a uh, cycling road. And uh, under there, uh, this is where the hardest rival battle, maybe in the whole Pokemon series, happens. Um, I know there's a few hard ones with blue and all that, but this one was especially hard for whatever reason, especially if you didn't train up maybe um, a few different type of Pokemon. Maybe that's what was hard for me. It's not so hard for me now. Like, it's not like... If you just prepare for it, it's alright. But um, basically, if you if they have a, a Grovile, they'll also have a Numel and a Whalmer, all at level 18 except for the starter at level 20. If they have a Combuskin, they'll have a Shroomish and a Whalmer. And if they have a Marsh Stomp, they'll have a Shroomish and a Numel. And man, it was just a, like... The Numel was uh, hard if you had, had a Grovile. It's got Ember and a few fire attacks. Um, if, if The Whalmer on the Combuskin was just brutal. <laughs> and Shroomish on a Marsh Stomp with its uh, four times super effectiveness was just hard. <laughs> but going on from there, it becomes a lot easier because on Route uh, 119, there's another one just outside the Wet Weather Institute and uh, her Pokemon, or their Pokemon, are uh, level 29, except for the starter at level 31. And they got the exact same Pokemon. They don't change. They just go up, uh, go up a few levels. So that's actually... 
actually a bit weird that uh, the next battle's so easy. But in the uh, remakes, they did reshuffle these uh, encounters up a bit more, make them a bit more, or at least give them a bit bit more Pokemon for the next one. And then the, the last encounter was just, it's actually kind of laughable. So this is just at Lily Cove City, just in front of the department store. And uh, they've gained a, a Swello and they've still got their normal Whalmer in a Grove Isle. They never actually fully evolved their starter Pokemon. Um, in the remakes, they do fully evolve their starter Pokemon. So I think that was just like a, I think that was just a silly idea not to have a an end battle where it, they do have a fully evolved team. Like, why don't they have a camera up, the Whale Lord and a, you know, a Skeptile or whatever? Like, that would have been way cooler. But um, this battle is kind of optional. If you don't want to go in the department store, uh, you can just leave them there. And they'll stay there for the whole game, which is, <laughs> which is actually pretty weird. All right, everyone, let's, uh, let's move on to uh, Petalburg City. And at Petalburg City, the description is, A whiff of salt air is always in this city, which uh, skirts the ocean shore. Uh, so this is uh, actually the home of, uh, the, not the first gym, but the first gym you sort of walk past. And uh, this is your dad's gym, Norman, who is the normal type gym leader. And uh, you go and talk to him and he says, Hey, there's this guy, Wally. And uh, Wally is a character in the game that's he's shy, he's uh, timid, he's uh, he's got no confidence whatsoever, and uh, you're the one who uh, he ends up looking looking up to because you help him catch his very first Pokemon, that is Ralts. And uh, you know Ralts goes on to uh, be his main Pokemon, and it's actually quite a sweet little arc with Wally. But it is kind of weird at the same time that. Uh, there's only sort of a couple of encounters with Wally. So there's one at the start of uh, Morville City Gym because uh, he's thinking about going in. He's only got level 16 rolls, so you're able to roll him with ease. And uh, you don't verse him again, actually, until Victory Road, which uh, is a long time away. That's until, like, the end of the game. And he's actually he's actually can be quite challenging at the end of the game, uh, especially if your team has uh, taken some pretty heavy damage through Victory Road. And, you know, Victory Road, if you're not prepared, it can be actually a quite hard challenge in these uh, Pokemon games. But at the very end, he uh, he does have an Altaria, a Delcaddy, a Roselia, a Magneton, and a Gardevoir. But uh, in the remakes, he has the exact same team, but instead of a uh, Gardevoir, he actually has the male variant, which is a uh, Gallade. And uh, in these original games, he doesn't have a, uh, a theme song. But in Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, he does. So this will be one of the only songs I actually play from the remixes. So I'll chuck that on. Yeah, so when I hear the same, I just think determination, determination to win and succeed, and that's pretty much the character arc that Wally goes on. I think it's uh, actually a quite sweet little uh, little character arc to go on. So Wally, Wally's a cool character, and it's cool that you sort of help him from the very start. Um, so moving on, um, what do we got here? So we got Route uh, 104. 
And uh, Route 104, it's just to the uh, left of Petalburg City. And uh, here we come across Mr. Bromley's house as, uh, as well as uh, Pico. Uh, we don't run into them just yet. They're later in the story, but they are the characters that help us sort of uh, get to Duford uh, Town because uh, we don't have surf yet. So we sort of rely on them. And uh, going on with the story, going to Petalburg Forest. And uh, Petalburg Forest, it's, uh, it's uh, I guess, your standard Pokemon forest, but I always thought it was a really cool place just with the atmosphere, with this music, and uh, being able to access a few more Pokemon. Um, be able to find Wormpool a, a bit more and... Um, with the Silcoon and Cascoon sort of being able to be found in the wild. It was just like kind of a neat place. And there's also a bit in here where you can use a HM Cut. Not just yet, but um, you can access a Slack Off and a, all, all that uh, sort of nice evolution line in here if you come back after you defeat the first gym. Uh, but the main thing in here that you will encounter is Team Aqua, Aqua or Team Magma. Um, depending on what version of the game you're playing, whether it's uh, Ruby, Sapphire, or Emerald. Um, but in Ruby and Sapphire, there is uh, one of them is a bad team, one of them is a good team. And uh, it's sort of interesting how they did that because it just comes down to perspective at the end of the day. One believes they're doing a good thing by uh, taking over the, over the land and the other one thinks they're doing a good thing uh, rising the ocean. So it is sort of like an interesting dynamic they've got there. But... Um, Let's, let's dive into a bit of a Team Aqua and Team Magma now. So this one is the Team Magma encounter music. And uh, I never really heard this uh, that much as a kid. I played through Pokemon Sapphire most of the time until Emerald came out and I could hear them through that. But they've actually got a really nice encounter theme, which is actually pretty cool. Team Akma. I don't know why I'm saying Akma. Oh, I'm combining the two. I don't know why. <laughs> don't know why. Don't ask me. So Team Aqua encounter music. And it's uh, it is, it's actually the same song. It's just uh, sort of using different instruments. Which I think is actually a quite nice little touch. And uh, these guys, you actually run into a fair bit. So... Um, the first encounter is here in Petalburg Woods and uh, they're trying to steal some information from a, a Devon Corporation worker and uh, after you defeat them they run off and they're like oh no, oh no. Uh, next time is in a rust turf tunnel where they've stole uh, Pico, Mr. Uh, what's his name? Mr. What did I say before? Mr. Brimey. Mr. Brimey? I think it was Mr. Brimey? Sorry. Um, yeah. So they're still here, I and mean, you get him back, and you give him back, and because of that, uh, they offer you to um, go on their boat, so you can actually uh, go further on in the game. The next time is at the Oceanic Museum, and uh, they're holding up there. Uh, they're blocking your way. You've actually—I remember getting really stuck on that part of the game, which was actually really annoying. I remember. At, uh, Looking up the guide, I had the guide, I bought it from the news agents and I remember my dad was there trying to um, help me through it and you know, he's never, he's not into video games at all or Pokemon so he's just like, it's actually kind of sweet remembering remembering it. Hope I do that for my kids one day, <laughs> try and help them do something I've got no idea <laughs> about. So what are, they, what are they doing in there again? Oh, they're trying to get, um yeah. So go to the harbour and talk to the man. Who, yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, I could not find that uh, guy. You have to talk to a very... Uh, 
specific, I can't talk. Uh, so a very specific uh, person at the uh, sort of the harbor. And uh, that's why I got stuck because it was just like, you either know to go and talk to him or you just randomly talk to him and then they uh, just all disappear. After you'll finish off two grunts, you'll meet uh, Team Sinister Leader, uh, but you won't battle them just yet. Then the fourth encounter, you'll see them at Meteor Falls where they're sort of having an argument between the two teams. Uh, the other team rocks up and sort of argues with them for like the better side. Like they come across as good guys, but like literally Archie's a pirate and Maxie, he just looks, he looks so evil. But this is uh, this is the bit I guess I remember the most from these games. So at Mount Chimney, you actually encounter these teams. Uh, they're both fighting one another. Um, the opposite team is trying to hold off the other team. Uh, but it's your job to get to the leader and verse either Archie or Maxie. And uh, we'll play the music for these guys. It's uh, really, really nice music. So this was actually a quite hard battle as a kid too. So um, both uh, leaders have uh, a Mighty Anna and a Golbat, uh, both at level 24. But uh, Maxi, he has a Camel Rupt and Archie, he has a Sharpedo. And uh, yeah, these guys are quite tough. And I think the Golbat was especially tough. I'm not quite, sh I'm not sure why necessarily. Maybe it's because like the starter Pokemon would be your strongest Pokemon, and Golbat has an advantage over both Blaziken and Skeptile at this this point. Uh, but um, your Swampert, you, you can hit it with water moves, which is neutral, but uh, any ground moves won't be effective at all. So unless you have something else to deal with that Golbat on the team, it's actually, it's actually quite difficult. Um, but going on, you go to the Weather Institute and verse these guys as well. It's pretty easy to clear them out. You verse an um, admin, um, being admin Courtney for Team Magma, and uh, Admin Shelly for Team Aqua, which is which is uh, pretty cool. So you go and fight them again at Mount Pyre. Well, these guys these guys are pretty much the story. So on your way to Lily Cove, you will spot a handful of grunts meet uh, muttering something about the, the uh, Eternal Mount Pyre and take you in that direction. Uh, you are to go up and find out what they're up to, and if you defeat the standard grunts, you will see their leader steal either the red orb or the blue orb. Um, depending on what version of the game you're playing, from the Elite Force Phoebe's grandparents at the top of the mountain. You are given the opposite orb. They take off to Slateport City for what's next. Then the next time you find their uh, hideout, um, they, uh, they steal a submarine and from Slateport City and go to their hideout. And the hideout's pretty cool. This is where you find the Master Ball and stuff, you know. It's, it's kind of like standard stuff at this point where you actually... Uh, Find the Master Ball and like the evil team's like big dungeon, pretty much. So this was just next to uh, Lily Cove City, I believe, yes. And then the next one is on the uh, Seafloor Cavern. And this is where they activate the orbs and uh, wake up uh, Groudon and Kyogre, depending on what game you're playing. So also with the Grunts, the Grunts have uh, great music as well. For the team, it's just, just I, I could just I, like I could seriously listen to the soundtrack on loop. It is awesome. It's the battle music is unreal. I love I love to uh, sort of hear what you guys think of the the Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire soundtrack. Is it awesome? Do you love it like I do, or is this maybe your first time listening to it and you're like, this sounds like shit? <laughs> Let me know on uh, probably Twitter at idruby. Let me know what you think about it. I'd love to have a discussion about that. Uh, 
all of these games that I go over in uh, this uh, House of Mario Encore special. Alright, so let's move on to Rustboro City. In uh, Rustboro City, the city is the main hub of industry in the Hoenn region with the uh, Devon Corporation as its beating heart. And the Devon Corporation, they do a lot of wonderful things. They, uh, you can go and restore your Pokemon fossils there. They've got a lot of great technology, but the thing that uh, helps you the most in these games from the Devon Corporation is the Pokenav. The Pokenav works as a lot of things. It sort of marks down trainers. It works as like a Pokemon phone. It's a map. It's all sorts of different things. It's pretty much your little iPhone in these games uh, before the iPhone was a thing. Pokemon was onto it before anyone else was. There you go. There you go. So, so Rustboro City. It's also where you have your first gym encounter, which is uh, really exciting. So once you've uh, once you've done all the stuff with uh, Mr. Brawley, I think that was his name. I've actually, <laughs> uh, but Pico, you save Pico, and you can go and verse uh, Roxanne at the gym. And uh, Roxanne, man, she's uh, she can be pretty tough. Got to admit, got to admit. So let's step in and let's uh, see what the gym leaders are all about. I'll go through all the gym leaders at this point of the episode. All right, so Roxanne, uh, she is a rock type specialist and your award is the stone badge. No, they have not used the word stone for the fourth, uh, no, sorry, for the second rock uh, gym in the whole game. There you go. And she can be quite tough. So she's got a Geodude and a Nose Pass at uh, level 14 and 15, respect respectively. Uh, but uh, she couldn't be quite tough. Um, but all of the starters actually have an advantage over uh, rock types. So it's not too bad. The Nose Pass can uh, use a uh, block and uh, def a defense rising move. Can't remember exactly what it was. But uh, pretty, pretty, uh, can be tough sometimes. I remember losing a couple of times, but not too bad. Uh, the second gym is in Duford Town, and it's uh, Leader Brawley, and he's the fighting type specialist, and he gives you the Knuckle Badge, and uh, he has a level 17 Machop and a Makuhita, and he's usually pretty easy. Once you defeat him, you can use Flash outside, which is, you know, quite useful. If you can't use Flash, it's annoying, but you can actually skip this gym and do it later on in the game if you feel so inclined. I usually uh, do it in order, but anyway. So next up is Morville City, and uh, it's Leader Watson. And Leader Watson gives you the Dynamo Badge. And he has a Magnemite, a Voltorb, and a Magneton. And uh, after this, you can use Rock Smash to progress through the game. It's actually pretty cool, uh, Watson, because he actually gives you a bit of a side quest later in the game to go to the... Uh, I can't remember exactly what it's called now, actually, off by heart. But it's like the equivalent of the power plant. You surf over there, and um, you can... Uh, Flip some switches to bring uh, power back to Morville City. So it's actually a pretty cool little thing. Nice little side quest I always appreciated doing. Uh, uh, sorry, next up, the fourth gym is Lava Ridge Town, where you verse Flannery, the fire type specialist. She gives you the heat badge. Um, she has a Slugma, a Slugma, and a Torkoal. She, that, this Torkoal is no joke. Um, it, it, it can be quite challenging, especially if you chose Trico, and Skeptile at this point of the game is your main Pokemon. Uh, the fifth gym is Pedalberg City, where you verse Norman, the uh, normal type specialist, who is your dad. And uh, this guy, he is a uh, he's a bit of a menace in the game. He's actually one of the hardest gyms, probably. He's got a he's got two slacking and a vigor off. And uh, the slacking, while they can only attack um, every second time because of their ability, they're actually quite difficult. 
uh, to verse. They're a very strong Pokemon. But this gym's actually quite interesting. It introduces you, introduces you to the mechanic of raising your stats uh, with items. So every single door you go through, they raise their stats, um, whether it's attack, special attack, you know, all that type of stuff because there was uh, the introduction of like some more nuanced stats in the third generation. The sixth uh, badge is in Fortress City uh, from the leader Winona, who is a flying-type specialist, and uh, she has a Swellow, a Pelipper, a Skarmory, and an Altaria. Uh, she can be quite tough. The Altaria is uh, quite a strong Pokemon. Moving on to the seventh gym is in Moz Deep City, and it's Tate and Liza. And uh, Tate and Liza, they specialize in Psychic-type Pokemon, and this is the very first uh, double battle for a gym. And uh, it, it is quite tough as well. A lot of these gyms are actually quite tough. I, I, it's just because I remember them from being a kid. So a lot, the gyms back then were actually quite tough. And I think, you know, really in the latter generations, they did, sorry, they did get um a fair bit easier as well. But the Soul Rock and Lunatone were no joke. And, and Pokemon Emerald, they uh, got uh, two more Pokemon. And the last gym is a Sootopolis City. And uh, it is uh, Leader Wallace, who specializes in water-type Pokemon. And they have a love, love Disc, a Wishcash, a Celio, uh, a Seeking, and a Melodic. And, you know, I never really stru struggled with Wallace. He wasn't that hard by, the t by this point in the game. You can even use the legendary Pokemon <laughs> if you got Groudon on Kyogre and you feel like doing that. But uh, Wallace, he went on to be the champion in Pokemon Emerald, which was actually a pretty cool little touch. All right, so we went through all the gyms and uh, let's uh, sort of get into the gym battle music. Because the gym battle music is uh, fantastic as well. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it for every single battle theme. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's awesome. This bit here. I, I, oh. <laughs> so nostalgic. It gives me goosebumps. Sorry, right, you take down your take down your gym leader. Congratulations, congratulations, everyone. You've gotten your gym badge. You're gonna move on, and we're gonna progress through our story. Remember, we've only taken down the first gym. We haven't gone through all eight gyms just yet. <laughs> This is the uh, the Pokemon Institute, which is in uh, Slateport City, which uh, we actually we actually have to have to get to, to start off with before we, uh, we get here. Then so let's uh, let's let's cross the ocean. And this is another track you only hear a couple of times until you uh, unlock uh, Surf as well. 
Mr. Brimey, he takes you for a trip in his boat with uh, uh, Pico to get to uh, Slateport City from Duford Town. And here you uh, you land on the beach, and uh, you converse a lot of uh, sort of uh, tube Pokemon uh, trainers. And there's a there's a fair bit in this town. There's like a big Pokemon market. There's your first Pokemon contest. There's uh, the uh, the Oceanic Museum where you have your uh, one of your encounters with the evil team. And uh, Pokemon from many different regions gather and mingle in this bustling port city. And being, uh, I guess, a region based off of uh, the ocean, this is a very important uh, town where like, the main port is. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in this uh, port too. Um, where you, whether you're um, chasing the evil team and they steal the uh, steal the submarine, or you're going to a faraway island to catch Latios or Latias. If you get the Eon, if you're lucky enough to get the Eon ticket, never got the Eon ticket, you can go from there. So basically, any events you left from one of these ports, either here or, or at Lily Cove City, and you do actually use those ports before you get fly to be able to go from uh, each one. But like I said, this is uh, one of the first places that introduces Contest. And Contest was a brand new concept in Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire where uh, each move uh, basically um, meant something other than just like an attack. So there, was, there were a few different sort of uh, uh, themes for each contest. So there was beauty, cool, cute, smart, and tough. And uh, there were different rounds for these contests. So the first round, I'm going to read this from Cerebi to make sure I... Uh, nail it, otherwise I might get it wrong. So the first round of which all contests are always the same, your Pokemon is judged upon their conditions ranking, which again re- relies on Pokeblocks that they've eaten. So Pokeblocks, you uh, basically mix up berries to make different Pokeblocks and then you can feed them to up their coolness, attack, oh sorry, coolness, beauty, cool, attack, sorry, I don't know why I keep saying attack, uh, tough or smart uh, status. And uh, actually, that's how you evolve uh, Milotic in these games as well. Milotic uh, only evolved if you uh, got its uh, beauty up from a from a Feebas because Feebas is ugly. So yeah, um, if you manage to get any of these five uh, scales from the Pokemon Fair Fan Club chairman, uh, this will also uh, do you some help in the first round. The audience will flag a certain number of hearts when your Pokemon is shown. That should indicate how well you've done. This obviously gets harder the more prestigious the rank you've entered is. So the first off is just like the stats of um, the Pokeblocks and um, stuff you've fed it. Then the second round uh, is more familiar to proper Pokemon battle. Though here hit points are uh, attacking stats are thrown out the window. You have five turns to make your stand. Moves have new effects effects unique to contests such as double team which lets you evade an enemy's uh, enemy Pokemon starting move uh, you can even use the move in the special combinations to further uh, contest points beware using moves uh, not of your category for the contest as this may cost you the favor of the audience and it was always so hard because um, if you basically mastered every single uh, component of the contests, and uh, um, you would get that Pokemon in the, the museum at uh, Lily Cove City, and if you got all of the uh, sort of categories uh, mastered, you got a, a star on your Pokedex on your trainer card, sorry, which was like a really really cool thing. Um, but yeah, it was a it was actually quite a tough thing. I did like a, I did a couple of them, 
But I never actually went and did all of them. I remember a friend um, trained up some of their Pokemon to actually like be really, really awesome at contests. And he went on and did a, just beat them all, all five categories, beat them all in the master ranks and went on to uh, get that star on his uh, trainer card, which was a uh, really cool bragging rights at the time. Actually, talking about trainer cards, I'm going to look up uh, what's what's required for the for the trainer card. Uh, so the first the first star everyone gets because they beat the whole Hall of Fame. You get a star in your uh, trainer card. Um, the next one is uh, win all five master rank contests and have your Pokemon painted for each. So that that was the contest. Uh, defeat fifty trainer challenges in the battle tower and uh, complete the Hoenn Pokedex and. Uh, I, I completed the Hoenn Pokedex, so I didn't do the contests or um, the tr- the uh, battle tower. So missed out on them. That's not too big, but it's always it was a really cool thing for uh, the contests. So let's go into the the contest lobby because this wasn't this wasn't necessarily music I heard a whole lot of. Because like you know I did it a fair bit. You're in the con- like this is like what you're listening to when you're uh, making poker blocks and stuff. And um, I don't think I ever bothered to evolve a Feebas. Always I got it off a mate who uh, went through the the trouble of getting it because it was like such a pain in the bum. So let's move on to the contest. And you get your result announcement. <laughs> this uh, this this uh, music just reminds me of disappointment. Because <laughs> like, oh, lost. I got to do all that again. God damn it! Or I got to go and like retrain a Pokemon. Uh, so contest championship. So that's, uh, that's contest done. Cool. So there's a few uh, throughout the cities. Oh, we don't have to go to them again. So let's uh, let's go to the uh, Marine Science Museum, which I think I called the Oceanic Museum before, but, you know, same difference. <laughs> so, yeah, here we, we have to pay a 50 pokey to go in and have our encounter with the evil team, which we've already touched on. So let's move, let's move up and onwards to Route 110. I think this is really iconic music for these games. Um, spent a lot of time sort of going through uh, routes with this music, which is really cool. And uh, this is also before the the, uh, the hard rival battle. And we don't have a bike yet, so we can't take the upper path, go through Cycling Road. So um, we have to just go the bottom way. But um, if we were to go and have our bike, uh, this would be the music. And the sort of the cycling music, I said like the last couple of generations, I'm like, oh, I don't like it, but... I've heard this one the most out of any cycling music and in all of the games, and I think this one's my favourite. I don't, I don't uh, dislike this one. It does kind of suck that when you use your bike, it like overtakes the rest of this awesome music. That's the only thing I don't like about it, but uh, it's really nice. And but in this game, they actually did some pretty cool things with the bikes. So they gave you a choice of bikes, and you could swap between them if you go back to uh, Marvel City and. Um, go to the bike shop, but you had a choice between the match bike and the acro bike, and 
I believe the map... I might get them mixed up. I'm not looking at any of the uh, resources here, but I believe... I believe the match bike was the fast one and you could use it to go up slippery slopes and uh, the acro bike was one where you could do bunny hops on and you could actually go on these like hidden paths and bunny hop and uh, get to areas that were only accessible through those bikes. Which is actually a really cool idea if you actually had, like you see something in the route you're like oh I need to, need to swap my bike and you go back and you can actually access other areas. So that's just a really cool aspect of the Holland region and uh, just how, how you explore it. The exploration was uh, really unreal in these games, and we're going to get into that a bit more in the uh, the ocean routes. So we're in Marvel City now. Um, we've got our bike and all that, and uh, this is where the game corner is. In the game corner, there isn't a... Uh, it's, 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 you know, after the Kanto one, where they had Pokemon as prizes, and I remember have such fond memories of getting Porygon, uh, the game corner in these games just really don't do it for me. There's two different uh, um, games you can play in here. You can play a, a roulette or you can play uh, just the standard slot machine. And they were actually pretty fun to play. I think the roulette machine was actually pretty cool. But as far as prizes went, it was pretty lackluster. There was uh, a lot of uh, TMs that you can only uh, get through here. Um, the one I remember the most was Flamethrower. And I wanted Flamethrower to be able to teach my Blaziken. But in hindsight, Flamethrower on a Blaziken is an awful idea being a special attack on a physical uh, Pokemon, but I remember I wanted it and it was a pain in the bum to get, but um, later on in the game in Lily Cove City's uh, department store, you can actually buy a Fire Blast and Hyper Beam and, you know, just better moves with worse uh, accuracy, but I think it kind of made that redundant, so I really didn't use the game corner that much unless I actually felt like playing the games, and that was only here and there, so not too much. But we got some sound effects for, like, the boards and stuff, which is actually pretty cool here, so... So if you, if you get a win, <laughs> if you lose, if you get a bit of a bonus there. Goes on a bit longer than I thought it did. <laughs> We got a great success. Very nice. So uh, next town is a uh, Valenturf town. And in Valenturf town, the description is: thanks to the prevailing wind pattern, this town is always kept clear of falling volcanic ash. Yeah, and it's uh, it's pretty much right next to uh, Mount Chimney, which uh, another route is uh, ash falling over it, which is actually a pretty unique route. We'll uh, get to in a little bit here. But it's a, it's a pretty um, standard town. There is a contest hall here. There is... Uh, this is where Wally's uncle is. Um, and this is where you sort of interact with him if you want to go and talk to him throughout the game. Um, so really not too much going on. But uh, the house that I actually went to this place the most for was actually uh, um, a person here that actually tells you the loveness rating of your Pokemon. And I always took my... Golbat here to be like, is it, does it love me yet? Is it going to evolve? No. Does it love me yet? Is it going to evolve? No. Um, so I went here a lot for it. And I think as a kid, I just thought it was really nice. Like, um, when I finally caught Latias at the end of the game, and I absolutely love that Pokemon, one of my favorite Pokemon, um, I'll take my team here just to see if they liked me or not. And like, I think it just gave me real joy being like, your Swampert, you know, whatever they say, like, your Swampert absolutely loves you. I'm like, oh, that is so nice. Or, 
um, my charm echo, which I actually loved, but I just caught, and it's like it's it doesn't really. It's a bit nervous around you. I'm like, oh come on, man, come on, I love you. Why don't you love me back? <laughs> so just another small town, but I think uh, it's it's got a cool little story and stuff. So let's move on to uh, we're gonna move right up to Route uh, 113, and around 113, it's actually it's actually one of the most unique. Uh, routes so it's just like covered in the ash because of the falling ash from being right next to Mount Chimney and uh, as you uh, go through this area you get to a house and from uh, this uh, man which I've got his I've got his name but he gives you an item called the soot sack which is a key item and every step you take in the grass you uh, get another step worth of soot and you can use this soot to uh, make items I think it's called the glazier I think um, he actually makes stuff out of uh, glass because of it. So I got an, um, an article from the game here just to uh, help uh, get to the point a bit quicker. So collecting enough ash to purchase all the different flutes is uh, pretty punishing. The cheapest flute, the blue flute, which is used to wake up a sleeping Pokemon, costs 250 steps. In the entire route, there's only 170 total steps. And there are five uh, different flutes to buy. The most expensive one is the white flute, which increases wild spawns by 50% and costs a whopping 1,000 steps. So you got to like walk in every step of grass uh, <laughs> four times, pretty much. There's also a chair and a desk items for your secret base. That will cost uh, 6,000 and 8,000 steps res uh, respectively. Um, in the Remax Mega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, the, the collection rate of Ash was adjusted considerably to remove this long, tedious grind. But I liked the grind, they say. Yeah, so that's, that's actually pretty cool. So this route, this is where you can uh, catch Skarmory in the game. And I, I remember hunting for Skarmory here. It's just um, just a really cool Pokemon. And um, when I played through these games, I didn't know what was Holland or what was Johto. Because I think I missed a lot of the Johto Pokemon. Apart from like the like the starters and Meryl and some of the early um, introduced stuff in the Pokemon movie and stuff. But um, a lot of great memories in this route. Just collecting soot, doing that type of thing. And it's actually, now I think about it. And when I read through this article on the Gamer as well. It's actually a neat little idea to have this sort of side quest in a route. Like this whole route. It's like pretty much de dedicated to this one mechanic. Which is really actually quite cool like I'm um, think yeah it's just actually a, a neat little idea um, but let's uh, let's talk about secret bases since we brought up secret bases and secret bases is a is a mechanic in these games that was yeah introduced in these games and it's exclusive to the Hoenn region it never actually seemed to come back and uh, you could use a, a move called secret power and uh, on whether it's a tree or a little sort of square on a wall, there's sort of a few areas you can do it. And there's um, places in the sea too, which you can do it as well. And uh, through these uh, sort of moves, you can open up an area and uh, you can go in and you can make it your own secret bases and you can collect different items and all of that to make it your own. So some you can just buy from the department store, whether it's like mats or dolls. Um, other items you can get from doing the soot challenge. And uh, there's another area I actually uh, skipped past, which is uh, one of the most actually interesting places in the game. There's a lot of uh, fantastic little uh, sort of side quests in this game, which uh, I don't know. I can't remember if uh, really that many of these types of things continued in the Pokemon games. But back on Route 110, there's a place called the Trick House. And the trick house, uh, basically the trick master, you go through the door and you've got to you've got to find him and you can find him just from like a bit of a, a speck in his eye. 
Um, and you click on him, and then you get uh, a challenge to do. So that can be um, a challenge where you've got to like cut through trees, do a maze, uh, go through certain doors, um, a boulder pushing challenge. Uh, there's just like, all sorts of things. There's like tile thing, tile uh, challenges and all that. And there's a total of eight. And uh, when you beat the eighth one, which only unlocks after you beat the Pokemon League, uh, you can actually get a, a prize for your secret base, which is a uh, uh, a blue tent or a red tent, depending on uh, what game you have. I can't remember if it's the same color version you have or it is um, an actual different uh, different color. I can't remember. But anyway, this is the Trick House music, and it's uh, it's, it's one of like the, the coolest things in the game. It's actually pretty cool. I think that's the exact same thing I've for every bit of music, but I'm just fond of it all. So I remember going in this place and I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Or you go into like the first challenge where you need um, HM cut and you don't have a have a Pokemon with cut on you. But yeah, secret bases were an absolutely fantastic uh, addition to these games and um, a real fun one. And uh, it's a mechanic in the Pokemon games that it was actually really disappointing when it left and um, when they brought it back with the remakes with Omega Ruby, Alpha Sapphire, uh, it was really nice how they sort of built upon it with uh, being able to trade your secret bases through was it a oh, street pass yeah street pass because in the um, original uh, Ruby and Sapphire you had to mix records and to mix records you needed the link cable and it was a whole thing you got to connect and go to the Pokemon Center go to mix records load save go go up to a machine mix records but street pass it just does it without you even thinking with your 3ds in your pocket but um, sort of with the secret bases, that was the best way to be able to um, level up. Because um, my friends and I, we would mix records and then their secret base actually unlocks in, in your game and you can go to their secret base and battle their team that they had. So if they had high level Pokemon, um, they would offer a lot more experience than majority of the trainers around the whole region, which only had... Unfortunately, like level 30 Pokemon, like the, if you wanted to grind in this game, it was a bit of a, it's a bit much. <laughs> it, was a bit, it was hard. Like getting level 100 Pokemon back in Ruby and Sapphire were, was quite hard. But um, in Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire with a street pass and QR codes, you could do it with QR codes too, actually. So if you weren't close to each other, you could use that, which was actually a nice little touch as well. Um, a lot of places uh, put like a toxic orb on a Chansey and, uh, then you could beat the Chansey and Chansey offers like a, a just a massive amount of XP and with the Toxic Orb it weakens it and sort of lowers its HP over time and uh, if you had a Lucky Egg or something on you double that experience so you could get level 100s in the remakes really easy if you use that method that was probably the best method of leveling up your Pokemon you could go back each day and there was there was a place in the middle of the ocean which just had like it was an island just full of uh, secret bases so um, cool little place Cool little place. So, let's move on to a uh, Falaba town. And it's a pretty sleepy little place. It's a town formed by scholars who gathered to research meteors, and the whole thing's about yeah, it's like there's meteor sort of craters around the place and all that, and there's a digger there who you can go and talk to and get uh, TM dig, and uh, yeah, you can get some nice little items too if you go and click on the the uh, the craters. You can get nuggets and stuff which uh, sell for a nice amount which is quite nice. So we can keep progressing. We can go to, um, we can skip a little bit here and go to uh, Mount Chimney. And uh, yeah, this is where we have another encounter with the evil team, which we've gone over before. 
but uh, it's got cool music and it's uh it's, it's got a lot of that atmosphere to it just with like the falling soot effect and uh, the lava and all that so it's a, it's a cool place all right so moving on to uh, 100 and, route 111 Whoops. <laughs> Actually paused it. Um, can't quite remember what Route 111 was. I remember the uh, theme, obviously. Oh, it's the desert. Oh, it's the desert, of course. So uh, after you beat Flannery, you actually get access to the go-go the go goggles from um, your rival. They come and give them to you after you defeat that leader. And then you can go in there, and it's always a, a cool area that uh, you get to go and explore, and I always... Got excited when I got to this point of the game because that's when I could go and catch a Trapinch <laughs> that evolves into a Vibrava than a Flygon. So really neat stuff. Um, there was like lots of different places in here. You can um, get the fossil in here so you could get the uh, the fossil that turns into Lilip or Anarif. And oh, I've got really bad memories about this actually. But for whatever reason, I had a finished copy of uh, Pokemon Sapphire or whatever. Yeah, that's right. This is my very first time I reset the game. I reset it because I chose Anarif and I'm like, I want to, so, uh, I want a Cradley. I want to get a Lilip to evolve into a Cradley. So I reset my whole game just to uh, get a different fossil as a kid. That was the first time I ever reset my very first Pokemon game. And I used to reset my game all the time. And thinking back to it, like now I never reset my game. I'd rather go and buy a different copy than reset my game. Um, I reset my Pokemon Emerald where I completed the, the, the Pokedex. I'm like, why did I do that? So I just got a technical machine. So let's go surfing. So this is the surfing music when you're riding on the thing that looks like a Kyogre, but doesn't really look like a Kyogre. Unlike uh, Gold and Silver, uh, your Pokemon doesn't really resemble a Pokemon. In Gold and Silver, it, it was very much a Lapras. <laughs> you could pretty easily say it. All right, so let's move on to Route 119 on the way to Fortree City. And this route was really cool. It's got like a sort of the tall... Uh, tall grass and uh, for those of you that don't know out there you can actually use uh, uh, HM cuts to actually cut down on this grass I remember cutting all the grass down and just like it's just like this blank area with all these trainers just standing there because they're usually hiding and whatever and it was, it was I don't know I just felt like wasting my time one day to do that but it was, it's oddly satisfying being able to do that <laughs> for whatever reason so we progress, we go past the Weather Institute where we have another encounter with the evil team. We have another encounter with our, uh, our rival, which is easy as anything. And then we move on to Fortree City where we get another gym battle. But this is a really unique place. So this is the town where the people and the Pokemon of this city follow nature's cues to raise each morning and each uh, and end each day. And uh, each uh, er, er, all the houses are atop the trees. So you have to, you've got to climb the ladder and uh, go through like it's a sort of a treetop city which is a really nice idea and it really this is the town that shows you that the whole region was all about environment people and pokemon being one rather than some of the other industries like the Univer region which is basically about infrastructure and cities and uh people's effect on the region rather than uh, the whole region which uh, i think makes it you know quite a sweet little place so we're going to, we're going to uh, keep continuing on towards the Safari Zone and Lily Cove City on Route 120. And uh, we meet the Keklian. We come across Stephen Stone, who... What's the item he gives you to uh, reveal the Keklian? I 
completely forgot that. I just remembered that little bit as we're going along. But yeah, we do that. It's a cool little route. We come, we come across like a bunch of uh, secret bases and it's actually one of my favorite secret bases if I can try and describe it. If, if you come down around 120 and you get to like the L-shaped bend to the left where there's a bit of a a bit of a pond, there's like a bush right there with like a berry patch and stuff and I, I really love the idea of like having a house in front of the water where you can grow your berries and do all this stuff. I thought that was just a neat, neat idea. So I always had my, I always uh, seem to have mine there. So we move on to the safari zone. You know, this is the music where you should have on, on the hunt for Pokemon and there was a, there was a few Kanto and uh, Johto Pokemon in here. Giraffe Rig was a big one and this is the only place in the whole game where you can get Pikachu. Which was actually like a really nice change and for a couple of generations there they actually took uh, took a bit of a, a pedal off of the original Pokemon. It's only been a few years since uh, you know Red and Blue and all that so and the nostalgia was still was still there but it's not like today where it's just like just massive just like nostalgia for Charizard and Pikachu and I seem to just be hammering that a little bit too much especially with the Galar games it's like all right calm, calm down guys but in these games Pikachu was only accessible through the Safari Zone. And uh, other Pokemon like Charmander, Squirtle, Bulbasaur, a lot of the Kanto and Johto Pokemon were just not in the games at all. Which was a really, really actually, at the time, I'm like, oh, I really want these Pokemon. But um, before Fire and Leaf Green came out, this they they were just made so special, so special that you couldn't uh, get them. And there was actually a place in Lily Cove City that if you had an e-reader, you could scan some cards and it actually brought some trainers to that house from a faraway region. And they would often have Pokemon, um, whether it's a Charizard or a Snorlax or something like that from the first games. And um, you couldn't catch them. You didn't even get experience from beating them. But uh, having them in the game was just a really, really uh, special thing. It's really exciting to see them. But um, it wasn't until... A a year or so later when Fire Relief Green came out and you could trade those games over into the Hoenn region, which was um, just awesome, <laughs> to be frank. Like, And seeing their sprites change, that was a big thing as well, seeing our Pokemon sprites change between games. like, And you can sort of tell not as much effort went into Charizards as, like, say, Skeptiles because Charizard wasn't going to be accessible in the game, which is just a, nice, just a fun little thing to just sort of think about, especially... Especially back then, because like Pokemon are so easily accessible now, um, except for in Sword and Shield. But you know what? The whole sort of National Dex cut it upset me at first because I was like, oh, it's just it's just another cut. And Pokemon since like Generation Six was seeing like a bit of a decline in, you know, whether it's resources or time because of 3D models, like whatever it is that Game Freak. But you could see like a bit of a decline in uh, quality and sort of uh, I guess content. Um, but it turns out that the cut was actually not a bad theme because it actually kind of took me back to the days of Ruby and Sapphire where you couldn't get these Pokemon and it made them more special because they're more alluring. Uh, so I don't know. It kind of took me back to that. And as they introduce them, as DLC comes out, it kind of changes up the metagame and I don't know, it kind of made things a little bit more interesting. So in some ways I kind of take it back, but as long as, uh, if they say the Pokemon are, are coming later on and, because of this save time at launch, we were able to do X with the game, whether it's a you know a bit of content at the end or whatever. But I don't know. That's how I feel about it anyway. So let's move on to Lily Cove City. So Lily Cove City is a tourist dest destination uh, that is undergoing a revival thanks to the popularity of the Pokemon Contest Spectacular. 
and this is where the sort of the master rank for the uh, Pokemon contests are. Also, your department store, you've got a nice beach, uh, you've got uh, sort of the cave where uh, Team Aqua and Magma make their uh, base. So you've got a fair bit going on here, and this is where you take off on your surfing adventure on the way to Mozdeep City, which is sort of the next town, which is an island. Uh, but, yeah, apart from that, there's a, you know, there's a fair bit going on here. There's, like, the e-reader place and stuff like that, and, um, yeah, I'm just trying to remember. Oh, there's also a different port where you can, um, get a boat ride back to Slateport City, if you so desire. And, uh, the art museum where you get your Pokemon encapsulized, and I always loved going in here and just, you know, just reading all the text for the different paintings. Obviously, you couldn't look at the paintings, they're just, like, blurs of sprites, but apart from that, um, it was actually pretty cool. Okay, so next up, in this adventure, you probably have uh, had a Pokemon evolve at some point, and you'll be hearing this bit of a jingle. And uh, like the past few games, it's the same, it's just got a nice trumpet. <laughs> Wow, this one goes a lot longer than the other ones. So, congratulations. <laughs> You're, uh, I don't know, Combustion's evolved into Blaziken. So, after Lily Cove City, you can, you can decide to go back to Mount Pyre, um, unless you've uh, already done this bit of the game, but Mount Pyre's an interesting place. It's, uh, it's where you can get, like, access to Shuppet and Burnett and uh, a few ghost-type Pokemon, um, and uh, this is also where you get the, uh, the red and the blue orb, which we've gone over. But, uh, the main sort of uh, reason why I remember this place is uh, going to the very top and looking for a Chimeco. Don't know the exact odds for a Chimeco, but it took me what felt like hours for it to pop up. It was so, I can't believe how rare it was, but it's the only place in the whole Hoenn region you can find this thing, and it was really hard to find. It was really hard to find. So shiny hunting this thing would be an absolute nightmare. Um, but yeah, Chimeco went on to be one of my favorite Pokemon because of it's hardness to find and just it's cute design, I guess. Um, but this, uh, let's go back to uh, Lily Cove City and we'll go into a Team Magma and Aqua's hideout. It's actually pretty chill music considering it's like a big part of the game. Alright, so we do all this, and we, we can progress through the game. So, we'll, we'll move on to Mozdeep City. I don't think there's any unique music for Mozdeep City. So, uh, sort of the description for Mozdeep City is that research is underway day and night in this city, uh, all in hope of understanding the distant reaches of space. And this is where the space station is uh, in the in the Hoenn region. And uh, this, was, uh, this was like a big sort of a myth back in the day that if you went to... Um, the space station 99 times or whatever it was days in a row that they would actually take you to space and you can go and catch the Oxus. And I remember trying this for like a week and being like, nah, this is bullshit. Nah, this isn't real. But I did it a couple of times. I went, you know, for a week, I'm doing it every day, making sure I'm going to try and unlock this like mythical thing that uh, was supposedly in these games. And um, I think that's why it was really cool in Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire how... Um, you actually do end up going to space uh, with Mega Rayquaza and you do fight the Oxus and that gives you the opportunity to be able to capture it. 
Um, I think that was a really nice touch to sort of put in those games, especially playing these as a kid and having that as a bit of a myth. I don't know if they knew that or they just thought it'd be a cool thing to uh, include in the newer games, but that was a really, really nice thing they did there. And it's also a home of Stephen Stone. That's where his house is. That's where he has his uh, stone collection. He's a big uh, fan of stones and uh, he loves stones. <laughs> his name's Stone. Um, but there's a, a few interesting areas around uh, Moz Deep City as well, um, as well as the gym too. So that's where uh, Tate and uh, Liz, uh, Liza are. Um, but I can't remember if there's anything else in there, but around the back, that's where uh, Shell Cave is, where it's sort of, I think that's what it was called. Sorry, I don't have the it up just in front of me, just as it is. But just behind there um, yeah, is Shell Cave where... Um, sort of the different times of day affect the tide. So if it's low tide, you're able to access uh, lower areas. If it's high tide, you can surf up and go to high areas. And that's just a really cool concept where you can actually like get different experiences going to the cave at different times of day, even though the, even though the uh, day and night cycle was removed from uh, these games. Um, so moving on from Moz Deep City, we're going to, um, we're going to do the whole... Um, Groudon and Kyogre arc, I reckon. So, the evil team, they successfully uh, wake up Groudon, Team Magma in this case. So, this is the music you'll hear throughout the whole region when it's this blasting sun. It's just so hot and you just get like um, sort of an effect in game where it's a bit more faded and you can see like the sunshine's re really blaring. And I didn't get this too many times. I played through uh, Ruby a couple of times, but my main game was Sapphire, as I've uh, stated before. So I actually got this music. And like the effect for the rain is just, it's actually really daunting. Like, you know, like something really serious is going down. I feel like the drought effect is kind of like, oh, bloody hell, it's hot now. Yeah, oh my God. Um, but with the heavy rainfall, like there's got like thunder effects and you can like hear it smashing down like feels like right next to you and it actually kind of makes you like hurry up like I've got to move. <laughs> uh, but you sort of get to a, a Sopophilus City. I always kind of struggle with the pronunciation of it, but it's nice to sort of laid back music and while you're not hearing it at this point in the game, because um, <laughs> you are getting that heavy rainfall music or the drought music, but it's just like really chill out music. You can tell that it's just like um, the town is built in a non-active volcano. But uh, the description for it is this city, which raises from the crater of a uh, giant of oh, meteor crash, can only be reached through the sea or from the sky. From a meteor crash, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just an interesting sort of premise for a town. I think it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, I remember this. This place is also a real pain in the ass to get to because your initial. Uh, way to get here. The only way to get here, because you can't fly because you haven't been here yet, so the only way is to dive. And it, diving in this game, it's a lot of fun. I feel like it's actually great. Like it just, you see like a patch and it just like triggers your brain like, oh, what's in there? And sometimes you go into an area and uh, you go around and there's some hidden items, there's some clam pearl. There's a, there's a place where you can, it's the only place where you can get Relicamp. And Relicamp is an important Pokemon for the, the Reggie puzzle uh, later on in the game. But yeah, I think diving was a really fun mechanic, and it really opened up the ocean and made it more explorable. Like, there's a there's a place sort of uh, 
near Lily Cove City actually where there's heaps of dive locations and you can find shards which you can then trade in for uh, evolution stones. So a red shard for a fire stone, a green shard for a leaf stone, etc, etc. Uh, no moonstones though, which is annoying. <laughs> but yeah, I thought diving is absolutely fantastic mechanic and it's really, it's, it's really fun being able to dive and like, then you see like another opening area and you go up. It actually takes to an area you couldn't access before and that's exactly what happens with a Sotopolis City <laughs> where you actually have to uh, follow the, the uh, submarine to, uh, to get there initially. And then we go to uh, have our encounter and stop all of this uh, weather turmoil in the Cave of Origins. And the Cave of Origins, and this is also the uh, music for Media Falls earlier in the game too. But the Cave of Origins, this is where Gridon or Kyoga lie. And uh, we have our sort of uh, moment with uh, Maxi or Archie where they trigger the orb and awaken the legendary Pokemon Groudon and or Kyogre. And uh, I, I remember the first time I heard this music. So we'll activate it. Or we'll play it. We'll activate it. <laughs> I'm thinking about just activating the orb or something. Now it begins. Here it is. Yeah, and those, those like drums in the background, just on the toms, just make it feel like such like a grand, like, oh my God, this was my very first legendary encounter I ever come across in the Pokemon games. And, uh, I think just like the idea of like seeing this big Kyogre, which I've seen on the box art, I was like, oh my god, there, there it is. There's that Pokemon, which I kind of like picked um, my Pokemon version over. And uh, just this music was like, oh, this is, a, this is a serious battle. And it sort of made me nervous enough from up, all right, my Master Ball, straight away. <laughs> Throwing my Master Ball, I want this thing. I don't want to accidentally kill it. I don't want to stuff up. I don't know if I saved before. I don't know if I sort of knew about that sort of a save trick before Legendaries at this point, but Master Ball straight away. And, you know, it's a, it's a pretty obvious thing, that, especially in hindsight, that that was a bad idea when you've got a roaming Pokemon and Rayquaza with a 4.1 I don't know one catch rate and stuff like that. There's a lot harder Pokemon out there to catch, but, you know, Kyogre and Groudon in these games were not easy to catch. They were, they were hard. Um, in later generations, they made the sort of story legendary as easy as anything to catch but I think uh, that's uh, sort of making stuff hard to do gives you uh, a great appreciation for them when you actually get them like I know it might not be that fun like just throwing ultra balls after ultra ball but you know what it made me like really appreciate this battle at the end all right so let's go on a bit of a side quest here so in these games it was actually really cool because they uh, gave you an actual braille chart with a copy of Ruby, Sapphire, or Emerald. And uh, it's just like a piece of paper. I'm like, you know, when you first get out the game and put it in your Game Boy Advance, you're like, what is this? Why do I, why do I have a braille chart? And more to the point, I didn't even know what braille was. Uh, <laughs> this, these games actually taught me what the braille system was, which is, which was actually, you know, pretty cool. I learned a lot of things from playing Pokemon games, whether it's learning to read better or braille or... Um, Pokemon Natures as well. I remember sitting with my mum and like going through my Pokemon and being like, uh, what does Jolly mean? She'd be like, you know, it means like, you know, 
what jolly is. So what does adamant mean? So, you know, a bit of, you know, full of yourself. Uh, what does uh, timid mean? Oh, you know, it means a bit, bit scared, a bit standoffish. And, uh, you know, it's just like, I learned like a lot of words just for asking my mum, what does this mean? What does this mean? Just for going through my Pokemon and all that. But uh, back to Braille, you actually need to use Braille to decipher um, how to unlock the Reggie trio in these games. Um, so originally like you, you go down to a, a place just uh, what was the it's just between the route between Slateport City and uh, Pacifilog Town you go there and you dive in a certain location and you come to a chamber and you read some text which says something along the lines of put uh, Relicanth at the start and uh, Relicanth at the start and Whale Lord at the end I might be butchering the order of that I'm not quite sure um and they might have even changed it around with Pokemon Emerald 2 just to make it a little bit more tricky. But um, if you did that, you will unlock the doors to the Reggie uh, chambers, which are throughout the Hoenn region. And then you go to the chambers and there's some more Braille to read, which give you a certain uh, sort of uh, task to do to unlock their final door to go and encounter them. And uh, I remember, I think it was Reggie Steel. We had the fly in the center and I can't remember exactly what they were. They changed them throughout the games as well. Pokemon Emerald has some different challenges for you to do. But that was a really cool challenge as well. It made you like work for it to unlock it, actually decipher a mystery, um, go to a place, then actually do it. And I don't know, Pokemon games they haven't really done that that much since either. Like it's it's either been um, we're gonna lock this event so you can never do it, <laughs> or we're gonna just give it to you willy nilly. But that that made you really work for the Reggies. I thought that was a really cool idea. Um, and it was really fun. That was such a cool mystery. Like this, the Hoenn region has so many mysteries to unlock um, as you go through. So the Reggie, the Reggie Steel music, and uh, Reggie Rock, and all that too. It's nice music. Like it's, it's cool. Like it's, it, it gives like the atmosphere of the Reggie. It's been like mysterious sort of like uh, beings, I guess. Especially over the cries like, brum, 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 brum. like they sound like robotic in like some sense too. So just like really, really neat uh, Pokemon. And while we're around this area of the Hoenn region, let's let's uh, go and actually talk about Pacifilog Town. And this town first came into being as a floating storehouse used by people living on the ocean's surface. And uh, there's not there's not a whole lot in this town. There's a Pokemon Center. There's no Pokemon. There's uh, various houses. But uh, I often went, come to this town to for one reason and really one reason only. And this was one of the biggest mysteries of the whole Pokemon franchise, mainly because it was so rare to get the opportunity to go there. And uh, if you know what I'm talking about, um, it's Mirage Island. And Mirage Island, while it's not exciting if uh, you could just walk there, if it was just like a, a whatever thing, um, the whole sort of illusion of it was really cool. So basically on Mirage Island, there's nothing except for a baby Pokemon in the wild, which is a why not? And it can range from level 5 to level 50. And why not is found nowhere else in the wild except for hatching it from an egg. And uh, it's the only place you can get a leche berry, which can be used to make gold poker blocks. And, uh, you know, they're just like really high-powered poker blocks that um, you probably want for your um, team. But never had one because I never went to Mirage Island. So there's not much there, but it just appears to the uh, right of Pacifilog Town. Um on uh, the route. I can't remember the exact route. What's there? Sorry, but 
um, to get there. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna read this straight from Cerebi just so I get all of the points here and all of the stats. So one of the biggest mysteries brought forth in the third generation was Mirage Island. Uh, this uh, seldom seen island is tipped off in game by an old man in Pacifolog who tries to view it each day. And that's that's on a house uh, just to the right of Pacifolog Town too. Uh, it rests on Route 130, so that's 130, uh, but it is only ever accessible um, under the most curious circumstances. Every day at uh, midnight, a random number going up to oh, uh, uh, 65,535 is generated. This number, uh, If this number matches what the uh, personality value of your Pokemon is when divided by 600... Yeah, I said that number. Uh, you need... You will need to be granted access to this island for uh, for a day. The number is fixed during the day, and uh, and thus even if you deposit the winning Pokemon in the PC, you can uh, you can still go to the island. Uh, for some reason, if uh, in-game clock maxes out uh, at the number, not no longer oh it can no longer be generated. So, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so you better hope that happens on the day you can use the island. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because um, all of my Pokemon games, Pokemon Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald, all the batteries are dead, so I can no longer um, do clock events, which are pretty much, which pretty much just seem to be growing berries, and each day, like, different stuff happens. So, um, unless it generated, unless I won the lotto on the day my battery died, um, I can no longer search for Mirage Island. But, yeah, I remember searching for Mirage Island with my friends every day, and None of us ever, ever come across it. And I think just for the sake of it, I need to just hack it in just to uh, just to go there, just to experience it because it just would be like a cool thing to do. Like it's just an island with a bit of a grass patch, a berry and why not? Like there really isn't much there, but just the allure of it was really cool. And it's another thing, just the Pokemon games have just done never since. Like this, like I've gone through a lot of them, but just the Hoenn region has, has just done so many things uh, other regions haven't done. All right, so let's uh, let's move on to the Pokemon League. So we're going to go to uh, Evergrande City, and uh, let's see. So Evergrande City is blanketed by by a profusion of colours, but colourful blooms. It plays host to the Grand Pokemon League, a reserve site that can only be visited by those trainers who have uh, dominated every last Pokemon gym. And this was a really uh, big moment. For me as a kid to get to like beating all the gyms getting through the whole game getting the legendary and getting to this place where it was just like going up this massive waterfall at the end having this music playing which just felt grand no pun intended and like all just like the big meadow of flowers there blowing in the wind it just felt like a big moment and uh, going to the pokemon center healing up before then going into victory road or champion road it's called champion road in this sorry everyone um but I remember being pretty, actually kind of nervous. I'm like going to Champion Road because I'm reading like the strategy guide, and the strategy strategy guide's like, man, it's actually it's pretty it's pretty hard. I'm like, oh no, I've got to be prepared to go into here. <laughs> so in here, you need you need um a fair bit going on. So you need a good team of Pokemon. There's a lot of Ace trainers who will kick your ass. You need a uh, TM Flash, TM Strength, TM Rock Smash. Uh, you need Surf. I think you might need Waterfall. So just uh, just off that, that's five. Five HMs. So 
Um, you need at least two Pokemon <laughs> maxed out with HMs, which is always a really annoying aspect of uh, these portions of the game, especially in caves. Um, so that's a great change they made in um, Generation 6, where you no longer needed... Wait, no, it wasn't Generation 6, was it? It was Generation 7. Uh, no, so we're still dealing with that in uh, Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. All right. Wow. We're getting to the end, ladies and gentlemen. We're getting to the end. Thank you so much for sticking with me throughout the Adventure of the Hoenn region, but we still got a little bit to touch on. So we go to the Pokemon League and another moment where I'm like, oh, I'm so close. And I was uh, I was nervous, like just the fact of having to maybe have to reverse um, some of these Elite Four members in the champion. But, you know, my team prevailed. My one, my one Swampert with... But just learned Earthquake. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> just got a new power. Um, it's kind of like Ash in the Pokemon League. It's oh my God, I got this new power and he beats a gym or whatever. It's, it's kind of like me. So let's, uh, let's talk about the Elite Four in uh, the Hoenn region. So the Elite Four, uh, the first member is Sydney, and he specializes in the dark type Pokemon. And he has a Mighty Anna, a Shift Tree, Cacturn, a Sharpedo, and an Absol. And they all range from level uh, 46 to level 49. So pretty beatable for the most part there. Can be pretty hard to beat, but um, you should be able to beat him easy enough. Uh, the next member is Phoebe, and she specializes in ghost types. She has a Dusclops, a Bennett, a Sableye, a Bennett, and a, and a Dusclops. So I do appreciate that, that both the teams so far have all been Hoenn, which is uh, pretty cool. Uh, next up is Glacier, the ice type specialist, and she has a Glalie, a Celio, a Celio, a Glalie, and a Warane. And uh, next up is Drake. And he is a Dragon-type specialist with a Shellgon, Altaria, Flygon, Flygon, and a Salamance. And, uh, yeah, um, I remember it being pretty tough originally, but, you know, you can get through. I feel like I've, I've, I've done this a thousand times, whether it was um, playing it, betting it for the first time in the game, or just this was, like, the main pl place to actually grind um, up levels. So I, the amount of times I've... <laughs> <laughs> redone this battle was absolutely nuts but moving on to the elite four battle theme so this is another one of my favorite battle themes throughout the whole series uh, i think just mainly because of my memory of uh, finally getting here and hearing this music so it just like stuck in my head a lot cool theme I, I really like it um uh in a previous episode episode of the house of mario encore um i actually cho chose the uh elite four theme as a um a remix title to include in my top 10 so it's definitely a theme that stands out a lot to me and means a lot to me all right everyone so let's move on to the champion who is uh stephen stone stephen stone be one of my favorite champions in the series because I guess he's the first champion that I've versed. So he's a uh, he sticks in my head a lot, but he's also just a great character who you see throughout the game and has a really menacing team, which is quite hard to take down. 
So, Steven, he specializes in Steel-type Pokemon. And, uh... His, his team's hard, so... He's got a Skarmory, Claydol, Agron, Cradley, uh, Ameldo, and uh, Metagross. And Metagross is his Trump Pokemon, which, uh... Means business. <laughs> it's quite hard to take down. And his Pokemon range from level 57 to his Metagross at level 58. Which is, yeah, pretty strong. I didn't... Didn't remember the whole one Pokemon League being that strong, but they were. Especially after the Johto Pokemon League, where we're all like just like high level 40, like level 50-ish. Alright, so let's move on to the uh the battle. The battle that will decide everything. That will determine if you are the champion of the Hoenn region or if you have to go and reverse the Elite Four again and try again. Let's go. You've just got that one Pokemon to take down. You've got that Metagross to take down. You're down to your last starter. I'm going to say Blaziken in this case because that would be really useful. Maybe not if it uses a psychic move, actually. <laughs> but you get that final Blaze kick in. And congratulations. Steven Stone has been defeated. You are about to be the next Pokemon champion of the Hoenn region. Well done. Congratulations. I just remember like the feeling of relief just like wash over me. I finally beat it because it took me a few times the first time. Like I'm not going to lie. I'm, I lost a few times in the Elite Four. I didn't do the whole save thing. So, man, Steven Stone is defeated. Ruby and yourself are the Pokemon champion of the Hoenn region. And then you move into the glory room. <laughs> uh, which is... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Too old. I just think of that in a bit of a sadistic way. But anyway, you're into the glory room. And I think this place was really cool because it just had like a, a gloss floor and it just like reflected everything. And in these games, it had like a really nice uh, sort of uh, reflective um, thing they did in the games where you could actually see your reflection. And I guess that was ray tracing on the Game Boy Advance back in the day. <laughs> but that's what I remember most about this. So you finally get in there. And the Hall of Fame. Here we go. You're about to be introduced into a Hot Hoenn's Hall of Fame. Here we go. And there it is. There's your Swampert. There's your, I don't know, Macargo, your Flygon, your Salamence, <laughs> your Numal that you never trained. You just had Rock Sap Smash and Strength on. The Zigzagoon that had pick up and uh, you just had it level one since the start. Congratulations, you're all the champion. And uh, we're getting to the end of uh, our journey here, but the Holland region also has uh, plenty more things to do, which we're going to uh, touch on as well. <laughs> it's going to be a long episode. There we are. We're on our trip back to Little Root Town on our bike and 
sort of reflecting upon the Pokemon and all the routes and places we've been along the way. Um, I remember seeing this and just being like, there it is, I've done it. I've done it. I've I've beaten the game. I've beaten pretty much was like my first proper game of a story and a bit of a progression. I've played like, you know, I played like Smash Bros and Mario Kart at friends' places before then, but um, never like through a full game before on my own console, my own game that I owned. So this was like a, a big moment for me that I actually like felt like I accomplished something and all that. And I only went on to do that game again and again and again and again, beat the Pokemon League, get more uh, sort of confident in my Pokemon knowledge and skills. And you know, eventually that Elite Four and Steven Stone weren't, uh, weren't a hassle for me at all. It's actually pretty easy. So yeah, I want to thank you all for listening to... Uh, this episode of the House of Mario Encore, I do want to touch on um, some more content that was introduced in Pokemon Emerald, but if you want to switch off now, I guess that's fine. <laughs> but uh, there is actually a fair bit more with the Battle Frontier and the, the Latias twins um, to uh, talk about as well. But just an absolutely fantastic game. Um, I think of the Hoenn region in such, such high regard. It's my favorite region, um, whether it's through bias or whatever have you. Uh, I think it's uh, just such a varied place. The exploration in the sea, in the land is awesome. Um, the teams are a lot of fun. And uh, the Pokemon they introduced are uh, some, the, some of the classics at this point, even though it's Generation 3 at this point, but going on to Generation 8, it was, it was a while ago in 2002. <laughs> All right, so this is title called The End too. What's the end? Oh, yeah, so this is like when the end's on. You're like, oh, yeah. So you can click. And uh, going on forward, I guess in Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, you can um, you can go and catch Latios and Latias. So if you've got um, Sapphire, you can catch Latias. And if you've got Latios, oh, sorry, if you've got Ruby, you can go and catch Latios. And in my game, uh, you get back home and you can see on the TV that you can go and catch a legendary Pokemon. It's roaming the uh, the wilderness and it's, a, it's got a red tinge to it. You're like, okay. And uh, I sort of, I read about it in the guide. I'm like, okay, cool. So um, it, it appears randomly. Once you find it, you can track it on your Pokedex by going to the area and you can see where it is. But whenever you move, that Pokemon also moves. So you've got to be one step ahead of it. So um, there are sort of uh, things you can use. You can use a repel and have like a Pokemon under level 40. And um, you can just run around the grass, go to different routes, swap back, run around the grass, and it will appear even though you are using that repel and nothing else will appear. So that is a method you can use. But the first time I just sort of thought about just, oh, it will pop up when it pops up. And I was really looking forward to it. I was like, you know, just in the back of my head, like when a wild Pokemon appears, I'm like, I hope it's Latias. That would be awesome. And the f- I remember the first time I was just uh, just to the the right of Fortree City after the Pokemon League. I don't know what I was doing. I might have been grinding or something, leveling up my Pokemon and just like the shadow of the sprite before it appears. I saw the shape. I saw that it was like a big Pokemon rather than um, anything else that appears in that route. And I'm like, oh my God, like I just like got so excited and I threw a Pokeball and it burst out. I'm like, oh, and it ran away. I'm like, okay. And uh, at this point, a lot of my friends were at this point too. So whether it was uh, searching for Latios or people with Sapphire searching for Latios, I remember going to our local swimming lake and going for a swim and we all had our Game Boys and we all got them out afterwards and we're all searching for these Pokemon. And I just got great memories of just doing it solo just because it took a long time to actually finally catch it. Um, Coming up with methods, whether it's uh, getting a 
a crowbat with a mean look to lock it in than actually being able to weaken it and throw as many balls as you like. Um, but it just got so such great memories. And um, I think that's what sort of contributes it to being one of my favorite Pokemon of all time. Um, when I did my top favorite uh, 25 Pokemon, Latias was right at the top. And uh, it's just got such a beautiful, shiny Pokemon as well. Um, I recently got my first shiny Latias in Pokemon Go and I got two in a row. So my first and my second ever encounters in that game were shiny and I just got so excited. So one's going to be able to be transferred to Pokemon Home to be put into the mainline Pokemon games and the other one will be my partner Pokemon. But I think especially back with the sprites, like the golden sprite was absolutely gorgeous. So um, I could just imagine like when you when you beat the Elite Four, that Latios or Latias is generated. And if you happen to get that shiny, that would have to be one of the rarest shinies in the series, especially back in the other games where... Um, the chances is one in 8,000. So finding a shiny Pokemon anyway is really hard. But if that happened to be shiny, that would be unreal. Um, so maybe one day, maybe one day I'll shiny hunt it in Pokemon Emerald, but I don't think so. All right. So I want to talk about the uh, the Battle Frontier. And the Battle Frontier is something uh, you might hear us talk about a lot in the House of Mario uh, main show. So it's a feature we really miss because it's a feature sort of more aimed at maybe more hardcore Pokemon players that want to get more into competitive battling. Competitive battling isn't really, you don't really need all of the sort of stats and that going for the main game. Sure, they help, but the games are relatively easy. You don't need like just like the best stats or anything, but um, the Battle Frontier really did focus on that and had different elements um, throughout throughout each sort of a, a facility at the Battle Frontier. So the, the Battle Frontier, it's made of uh, um, uh, seven facilities. And uh, in Pokemon Emerald, there's actually a character called Scott who's sort of scouting you throughout the whole adventure. And then when you beat the Pokemon League, he says, okay, I'm going to invite you to the, the uh, Battle Frontier. And uh, only like the best trainers are allowed there which uh, being the champion of the region, you reckon you should be allowed there. But I'm going to read this from Bulbapedia just to give it a really nice uh, sort of summary of the Battle Frontier. And they say, the Battle Frontier is a special post-Pokemon League area in Pokemon Emerald that features several areas where wonderful trainers can battle each other. The Battle Frontier replaces the Battle Tower in its location south of Route uh, 130 and likewise is only accessible through taking the SS title from Lily Cove City or Slateport City. Unlike the plain Battle Tower in Pokemon Ruby and Saf- in Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, the Battle Frontier is composed of seven uh, distinct battle facilities, which is led by a Frontier Brain, who will be challenged after certain winning streaks have been made through their respective uh, facility. Um, and this is this is the the heart wrenching bit about the remakes in Pokemon Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. The Battle Resort exists where the Battle Frontier was in Pokemon Emerald. However, there were some other references to the Battle Frontier in the Battle Mansion. A man mentions that the Pike Queen has been scouted and asks if anyone else meets Scott's expectations. A remix of the music for the Hoenn Battle Frontier brains is used as the battle theme for the uh, Battle. Uh, Celadence. Uh, I never actually played through the battle. See, the thing is, like, I was so disappointed that the Battle Frontier wasn't in the remakes. It's just like such a pivotal moment in the uh, original um, Emerald version. It's such a good idea, and it's just like it came back in Generation Four, but it wasn't as good. But it was at least still, at least it was still there. But the thing about the Battle Frontier as well, it's just got such um, awesome music. So 
Um, the overall sort of theme for the Battle Frontier. So if I get to play here. There it is. So while you're there, it's just got this, this, this real epic music playing. And uh, what have we got here? So going through each of the facilities as well, like um, in Emerald, when you, when you get here, this is where you can actually catch a Suda Widow. And I remember being really excited to catch Suda Widow because <laughs> it's one of my favorite Pokemon and you couldn't access it in a Ruby and Sapphire. But uh, we'll go through uh, each facility and what they do in their um, factory heads as well. So the Battle Factory and these factory head was Noland. And the Battle Factory is a more dedicated to research than any other of the facilities. And the subject of the scientist research is the abilities of trainers when using rental Pokemon in battle. Before the battle begin, before the player begins a battle, uh, they will be told some information about the opponent's team and may s uh, switch one of the Pokemon they have with them with another Pokemon used by the trainer they just defeated. This is just like the battle tent in Slateport City. Uh, the pool of possible rental Pokemon is the same as the possible uh, Pokemon NPC trainers will use in other facilities in the Battle Frontier. So this was um, the Battle Frontier. Oh, sorry, the Battle Factory was always one I went to uh, first because um, you could just rent the Pokemon and you didn't have to use your own team. You didn't have to get your own team of good Pokemon together. So the Battle Factory was usually one I went and got the uh, silver knowledge symbol for. Um, I don't think I went and got the gold symbol for any of them. I'm thinking about going back and playing Emerald and actually um, doing the Battle Frontier because I think it would be a fun thing to do. Uh, it's just getting that team together in Generation 3, which is a quite a feat. <laughs> so next up is the Battle Arena. In the Battle Arena, um, the challenge is uh, a match in the Battle Arena pits two Pokemon against one another for three rounds. If both Pokemon last all three rounds, they are uh, rated on how they battled in three aspects. And the Pokemon with the highest score wins. And the losing Pokemon leaves the battle. If they somehow tire, both Pokemon leave. Uh, both Pokemon leave battle. A knockout results in the automatic win for the Pokemon that is still standing. Trainers are not allowed to switch out their Pokemon and must be sent out in the order they were entered. And uh, the area tycoon is Greta, and they give you the guts symbol, whether it's the gold or the silver. Um, I think I did the, uh, the battle arena. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a cool little challenge as well. The Battle Dome. So each challenge at the Battle Dome is a tournament between 16 trainers. Before each battle, the player can find out about their opponents, such as the Pokemon they use, their battle style, and how they train. Uh, then both trainers choose two Pokemon from their three Pokemon party to use in battle. Uh, competitors can find out who was eliminated in each round by looking at the tournament bracket. And the... Uh, the Dome Ace Tucker is the uh, sort of the leader of this uh, battle facility. And it gives you the tactics symbol. And uh, I don't think I did the Battle Dome as a kid. I don't think I did the Battle Dome. Sounds like a fun one, though. What have we got here? Oh, we've got the music to go along with this, too. Um, so what's the battle, the battle Dome music? There it is. There we go. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to the, the battle part. Sort of uh, forgot about <laughs> forget about the music on here for a sec. So the battle pike, it's, it's it's one of the most eye-catching ones because it's just uh, shaped as a giant survivor. 
And uh, this is the one I, um, myself and my friends, went and did first. So the challenge is, the player is challenged to make it through seven rooms, but before each one they are given a choice of three rooms to enter. In any room, one of the following events may occur. So uh, a single battle with uh, a trainer with three Pokemon, a double uh, battle with two trainers and one Pokemon each, a hard single battle and healing, so you got a harder battle but you do get the heal from it, you got a wild battle encounter, um, you've got uh, no event, so then just nothing will happen. You get like a basically a, fr a free sort of uh, move through. And uh, another room where you get a status effect, which uh, wouldn't be very fun. So a gentleman's uh, Curlier or Dusclops will supposedly use a move attempting to inflict a status condition on some number of a player's non-fainted Pokemon that do, do not already have a status condition. So it's just one at random as well. It's sort of based on your natures as well. And uh, electric Pokemon are immune to being paralyzed. So there's a few sort of interesting things there. So um, if you know your natures, you might actually sort of look up what you might get and how to sort of counter that. But the Batter Pike is what I used to do because it, you know, it was relatively easy to get through and get the uh, silver symbol, which was the, the, the luck symbol by the Pike Queen Lucy. And moving on to the Battle Palace... So the Battle Palace, the challenge for that is that in the Battle Palace, uh, Pokemon battle on their own without any commands from their trainer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this is very similar to the rules at the Velenturf Battle Tent. Uh, the style of the Pokemon's battle depends on its nature, and this style may change when the Pokemon's HP falls low. So each uh, sort of um, nature has a different battle style, and all you do is hit fight, and the Pokemon will do what it's going to do. So... Um, if you don't want it using too many status affecting attacks in that, you've got to sort of make a make a move set around just being able to do that. Um, I remember doing this one uh, because it wasn't easy. I don't know if I, I think I I think I would have gotten to the the leader. So um, they give you the spirits symbol if you reach it, and the uh, the leader is Palace uh, Maven Spencer. <laughs> and uh, let's move on the battle pyramid the battle pyramid is uh is the bane of my existence i tell you right now i kind of hate the battle pyramid <laughs> so the challenge is uh, as a battle facility battles conducted here do not award experience or prize money the battle pyramid is a, a seven layer pyramid where challenges must advance from one level to the next by stepping on a blue tile each floor is shouldered, uh, shuttered in darkness and can only be lit up by defeating opponents on the uh, on the level. Uh, after a battle, a defeated trainer may provide the player with context uh, uh, sorry uh, contextual hints on certain aspects of the challenge, such as the location um, of the given floor's exit, number of remaining trainers to be fought, or the number of um, remaining items on any given floor. The ability Runaway does not guarantee escape here, uh, but uh, will be credited if the player does not successfully escape with the Pokemon with the ability. So you can't take items in there or anything like that. Um, it's all—it's basically like a mystery dungeon game where you, like you've got to go in blank. And uh, this is one where I really did attempt um, pretty hard to uh, beat. I—I um, I remember getting up to. I assume it was the silver symbol, but let's just say it was the gold symbol, make myself sound better. But uh, the leader is uh, Pyramid King Brandon, and I remember Brandon actually a fair bit from the Pokemon anime. He was actually a, a pretty cool character in the uh, Battle Frontier saga. 
in that, but got to the very top and I had had um what did I have? I had like Charizard and Charizard? Doesn't really matter. Uh, yeah, Charles and that. But since he's a bit of like a ex explorer type, um, <laughs> he has some really strong Pokemon. He is like probably the strongest Pokemon out of all of them. So um, he has a Reggie Rock, a Reggie Steel, and a Reggie Ice. And I remember, like the Reggie Rock just completely destroyed my Charizard and wiped my team. And it took the Battle Frontier. It takes so long to get there. So when you get to the final battle and lose, it's so heartbreaking, especially with how how sort of like frustrating the Battle Pyramid is. Like, it was just, like, nuts. Oh, but, like, actually, the, this is the peak music here, too. So, let's listen to that. Oh, it's so nice when you get there. Like, oh, my God, I'm finally there. There's one more battle. And I lost. So, I need to go back and just, like, redeem myself. But let's, uh, let's move on to one of my favorite bits of music in the whole series. This is the Frontier Brain Battle Mu- Oh, no, that's not. I clicked on the wrong thing. This is the Frontier Brain Battle Music. And since it was so hard and so rare for most point to get to these uh, uh, challenges, um, you didn't hear the music th that much. But when I first got here, I remember when I was talking to a friend of mine, I'm like, it just came up. I'm like, this music absolutely rocks. I love it so much. And when I when I got to it, I just like left it sitting there for five minutes. My Game Boy Advance and just like listening to the music because it's really really awesome. And um, being able to uh, listen to it years uh, years later, just you know, just on the internet, I have it going all the time. And plenty of remixes by um, artists such as Glitch X City do absolutely fant fantastic uh, renditions of this. Really really cool stuff. So, one of my favorite bits of music in the whole series, let alone um, Pokemon Emerald. Just so epic. So yeah, if you're able to defeat all these facilities with uh, all the gold symbols, congratulations. My hat is off to you. This is one of the the biggest challenges in the whole Pokemon franchise. And um, I think that's why it really sucked that it never came back because this is like the feature I think most Pokemon games should have. I don't know why they decided to get rid of it. I know it kind of come down to being like development time. We only have so much to do. A lot of people don't use post-game stuff, so um, a lot of the, a lot of the effort goes into like the main story, which you know it makes sense from a producer side of things, but from a fan side of things, it sucks. This this needs to come back, and the fact it didn't come back in the remakes is honestly really actually quite poor <laughs> on Game Freak's behalf. But 
it is what it is. And, you know, they did add, they did add some pretty cool things to the remakes with the Deoxys sort of uh, episode and that, the Delta episode. So, cool stuff. Very cool stuff. So, that brings us to the very end of our journey throughout the Hoenn region. I want to thank you all for joining me. And uh, it was a lot of fun to, uh, to go through. Uh, the Hoenn region means a lot to me. It is my favorite region. It's my very first Pokemon game, my very first game. It's a place that made me fall in love with the series and find Nintendo and uh, find video games. And uh, I owe everything to the characters, to Game Freak, to uh, Junichi Mishuda for the production of this game and uh, everything about it. Really fantastic. But um, I just still want to say before we go, let's, I forgot to do it for Johto. So let's do it for... Guess that Pokemon Cry. So we've got a few Pokemon Cries here from Generation 3 we're going to try and guess. And it is a little bit easier. We do, it is a sort of a, get the pick and answer here. So I'm going to say the options before I play and then we'll um, we'll play the theme and we'll try and guess it. And uh, let me know what you guys get, what your score is out of 10. Let me know on our Discord with an invite in the show notes or... Um, Ruby on Twitter. So we've got the choice out of Burnett, Trico, Safil, or Swampert. Let's go. What is it? What is it? Okay. I that is that is Burnett. <laughs> I know that for sure. Because with the original games, it's really hard because they reuse uh cries, but in this one, they don't. <laughs> I can still get some wrong, obviously, but I think it'll be a lot easier. I know these I know Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire on the back of my hand for the most part. Um, obviously I missed a few things in this episode, but whatever. So now we've got Deoxys, Latias, Burnett, or Makahita. Oh, there's no mistake in that, everyone. That is my favorite Pokemon. That's Latias. <laughs> so now we've got Snorunt, uh, Metatite, uh, Nuzleaf, or Why Not? Okay. That is a, uh, let me play it again. Pretty sure that's Nuzleaf. So now we got Dusclops, C Dot, Manetric, or Delcaddy. Oh, pretty sure that's Manetric. It's, it's definitely not. I'm just like I can't remember what Delcaddy's is. I think Delcaddy's is more of like a screech. So I'm gonna say Manetric. Oh, sorry, I didn't say it. So it's Talo, uh, Clampel, Sableye, or Chimeco. Uh, that was obviously Talo. <laughs> All right, so we've got Wishcash, Cradley, Registeel, or Makahita. They love Makahita as an option on this, don't they? Ooh, so you know you can get a bit, you can get a bit worked up between Registeel or Cradley, but definitely Cradley. Registeel's a bit more like robotic sounding. So now we've got Altaria, Shroomish, Tropius, Trapinch. Ooh, we're gonna play that again. I know who it is, but. As Tropius, I am a Tropius was one of my uh, first Pokemon that I um had in my party in uh, my original playthrough, and I really liked it. It was my Flyer. I think it's a really cool concept. It's a shame its stats don't live up, but it's just a really nice idea, like a dinosaur like growing like its necks like kind of like a tropical tree trunk, and it's got bananas growing from its jaw. I think it's really cool. So we got a Corpish, Trico, Cast Form, or Torchic. <laughs> Uh, can you guess everyone if you ever played these games you'll know exactly who it is it's Torchic number 9 we got Delcaddy Gulpian Lotad or Melodic 
I think that's uh, I think that's gulping. Gulping sounds like. <laughs> no, no, no. That's uh, melodic. And now we've got Dust Ox, Reggie Steel, Slacking, or C Dot. Yeah, that's slacking. All right, number 10. Bang. Oh, I got one wrong. Oh, I did. Yeah, this I got the one I was a bit unsure. So I got Burnett right. So if you got Burnett, congratulations. Latias was right. Number three, I got wrong. It, it was Meditite. Oh, yeah, Nuzleaf. That's Nuzleaf. Meditites. Yeah. Okay. Bugger. You know, I'm a failure, ladies and gentlemen. So, if number four, if you guessed Manetric, congratulations. For number five, if you guessed Talo, congratulations. If you guessed Cradley, congratulations. For number seven, if, if you guessed Tropius, congratulations. If you guessed Torchic for number eight, well done. Uh, number nine was melodic. Well done. And number 10 was slacking. Well done. So if you beat me, if you get 10 out of 10, well done. If you need, if you knew, if you knew that was Metatite, congratulations. And uh, you can say how much of a silly Billy Drew is for guessing Nuzleaf on the House of Mario Encore. But ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of the journey through Hoenn. I know there was a couple of false step stops there with uh, the Pokemon League and the uh, uh, the Battle Frontier, but they're both really important things to sort of touch on on this episode. And I'm glad I could sort of get it all out into one episode and uh, talk for two hours and ten minutes all about uh, the Hoenn region. So I guess a bit of plugs just to let you know where you can find me in the show, but you can find me on Twitter at iDruby. You can follow the show on Twitter as well at the house of Mario. And uh, if you come across this and you don't know about the main show, uh, the house of Mario is a Nintendo podcast where each week my co-host Bryce and I talk about the uh, latest news and gatherings about Nintendo. And uh, we absolutely love it. But um, the house of Mario encore in season two is all about Pokemon and, uh, we hope you uh, continue to enjoy and listen to our content. And uh, if you want to see the video version, you can go and check it out on youtube.com slash iDruby. And if you're watching the video, you can go to podcast services and type the House of Mario Encore and find it all there. So you can listen to it on a bus ride or a car trip or a run or whatever. You don't need to see my silly face because a lot of the time I wasn't looking at the camera anyway because I've got a lot of stuff to read and press and all that. But anyway, guys, this journey throughout Holland has come to a close and the doors to the House of Mario Encore are also closed. Catch you later.